Hello everyone, welcome to this week's binary episode of the Day Zero Podcast, I'm Spectre with me is Z, and today we have a bit of a Samsung special, including a uh, Samsung baseband bug, a radio interface layer bug, and a Mali GPU driver UAF, so literally all Samsung issues. Um, but before that though, we do want to bring up the Humble Bundle deal that was put out uh, by Humble Bundle for the um, uh, No Starch Press books. Uh, we talked about it a little bit on our Bounty episode yesterday, but... There are some books that are relevant for binary as well. And uh, just like yesterday, I'll let's see get into uh, some of the books that he finds uh, interesting in the bundle. Yeah. And like I said, uh, or bouncing off that, uh, the bounty episode, I think there's more books in here that are applicable to the bug bounty hunter. So you can kind of look on the bug bounty episode for some of that. But there are still still a few books in here that may be interesting to some of you. The Hardware Hacking Handbook. Um, that was one book I had reviewed it, taking a look, and it kind of surprised me in terms of just it being comprehensive of a lot of the basic topics. It wasn't like um, absolutely everything, but it was a good breadth of topics um, that if you're wanting to get in there, it seems like a good resource. Um not strictly binary, but uh, serious cryptography is one of those books when you're looking for issues. You know, you sometimes do come across the binary type issue or the crypto type issues as you're looking at binaries. It's trying to deal with these crypto payloads, run into them. It's just a really good uh, crypto book. Uh, something that I kind of would have liked when I was getting started with doing like assessments that involved crypto. Uh, B Hoppers, thank you for the uh, tier one sub. Um. Uh, oh, oh yeah, obviously hacking artifact exploitations in here. That's a book that's been in a bunch of these bundles. It's not really something I actively recommend, but it is one of those very early books. It has a very solid introduction to like basic '90s style exploitation. Hasn't been updated. A lot going on there. Um, practical malware analysis similar. It's fairly old for a book. Um, well, I guess not old for a book, but it's old for like a reverse engineering book. It is more focused on like a practical and or like a dynamic analysis setup. Uh, is dated, but still has some good advice in there, but you'd probably want to update on the tooling side. Um, what else in here? Uh, uh, designing secure software is kind of an interesting one. I'm actually going to bring up the preview of it here. While it is, of course, about secure software design and kind of coming from more of the design and development side, it does do things like cover the low-level coding flaws, as they call it. This isn't as solid of a book in that in that sense as something like Art of Software Security or Art of Software Security Assessment. But it is part of this bundle, whereas if you want to buy Art of Software Security, it's a fairly expensive book. Um, they do talk a bit about like how to actually do a, a security design review, how to actually do some of the auditing process. Um, so it is at least worth taking a look at. It's not like my active recommendation here, but it does seem like a good book. This is not one that I have fully reviewed. Um, I've heard a few good things about it, so I'm going to pass it along, but... Um, it is 
worth checking out for just uh, that side and for some of the explanations on the low-level issues and more on the preventing them, so it gives you ideas for how to also discover, but not so much on how to test for them. Uh, Rue Kits and Boo Kits, heard a ton about it, had a lot of good recommendations, like people recommending it, but I have not read it. Um, I think that's all of the kind of low-level ones on here. Uh, yeah, I just want to mention XCD. Yeah, I think we were about to say it's the same thing, but XCD80 mentioned that uh, Rootkits and Bootkits is more about the introduction of uh, UEFI and less about uh, like writing Rootkits and Bootkits. So fair enough. I okay. I think that's one of the books that I'd meant to check out for a little while and then just never got around to it. Um, but yeah, that is same. a good distinction. So thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, um, kind of on the same front. Like it's one of those books I've heard mentioned quite a few times. Um, and I kind of had the assumption that I would actually talk about doing, like, rootkits rather than going over the, I guess, paths and foundation to build upon. And don't get me wrong, that information can still be very valuable. It's not the focus, I thought, like, uh, but still very useful, I could imagine. And, you know, that act of red teaming context and try to do something, evasion and such, I could, or, well, persistence, I guess, really, for a rootkit or bootkit. Um Still, I've heard a ton about it. I just haven't read it myself, so that is good clarification. But yeah, I cool. mean, the bundles also kind of want the more expensive hacking ones. Should also mention Wiley has their bundle out too. Uh, it came out a couple weeks ago. I'm a lot less excited about that bundle. Um, yeah, the Wiley books in general are, are a little bit more uh, like boilerplate. Um, they, they don't tend to cover, like, a lot of what they cover you can find pretty easily, I think. Like, it, it's not really worth it the same way that the Snow Starch Press ones are generally, but it is I mean, worth shedding out that it's there, and you can check, you can check it out and, you know, assess that for yourself. Book, one book in here that is actually kind of nice, not so much, like, explicitly on the binary, but Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. That is kind of the one book that I'd maybe call out from this bundle. Not that a lot of the other ones are bad. Like, if you like Midnick's books, you know, Art of Deception's in here, um, and Art of Intrusion's in here. So, like, you get those sort of books in here. It's a lot more of a higher level, some that are more of a story basis, um, and things like that. But, uh, like, basically just they don't feel like they're really technical books. They're a bit higher, um... One that did catch my eye open, not with the bug, but with stickers, talking about AI attacks. Sounds like it could be kind of interesting. Um, like the sticker attacks that we're using against uh, AI. Uh, probably seen some of the fun ones, like putting a uh, a pylon on like a self-driving car to just basically deny its service, uh, stop it from going anywhere. Um, and yeah, we used to cover those kinds of bugs all the time on the podcast at one point. Uh, yeah, that's well, a why lot of like classifier fooling tricks and stuff like that. Yeah, that's why it sounds kind of like an interesting book, but it's not really like a super technical book, or at least it doesn't read as though it is. Either way, I just figured I'd shout out the Wiley bundle. I do think the you can, I do think you can get a good value out of the um, no starch one. The Wiley one is like half the price though for these books, so it's still worth at least knowing it's there if you want to take a look. For sure. 
But yeah, I just wanted to bring up the Humble Bundle uh, deal for those who listen to the binary ones and might not catch uh, our bounty episodes or or whatever. Um, And also just different uh, relevant set of books. So yeah, like I said at the top of the episode, we have a bunch of Samsung bugs today. Well, actually not a bunch. um, Only like three. So it might be a bit of a shorter episode, but... Uh, you know, they're all Samsung, so we can we can keep that through line going. So two of the posts here are from uh, Tasks. I, I think that's how you say it. I don't know. Might yeah, be wrong. I'm not sure. Like T-A-S-Z-K is... <laughs> it's a little bit weird, but I'm yeah. going to go with Task, uh, assuming the, the Z is silent. And uh, yeah, so we'll start off with the baseband bug, and I'll let Z get into it. All right. Yeah, so we actually have kind of two bugs from Task here that are... They both chain nicely together. Um, and Rudimal says the Z spelled Z-I is silent. I am definitely not silent, but, <laughs> um, go with this, uh, baseband bug is specifically, as it's kind of mentioning there, in the baseband chip itself that would be on a mobile device. Uh, they mentioned that this is, uh, mainly, or the implementation that matters here is mainly used on their Xeno chipsets, which... You might uh, know this one better than me, but I believe the Xenos is mostly kind of the worldwide release, and in the U.S., um, does Samsung switch their chip out? Yeah, um, Samsung uses Qualcomm in the U.S., uh, or, or North America, rather, uh, Canada, Mexico as well. Um, it's mostly the international and European models yeah. that, that run the Xenos chips, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, so, that's one note, but basically, this is the baseband chip on those Xenos models uh, that with a vulnerability that can be used to achieve code execution. Unfortunately, we don't get all the details on how they can do the code execution here. Uh, But this is a fairly um, fundamentally straightforward issue, although there are a bunch of details around, like, how um, the cell networks work and all of that, because this is taking place with, like, uh, uh, the processing of LTE messages coming in, um... What do they call these things here? The traffic flow template information. Uh, I want to say information elements, but that wasn't. Yeah, information elements. Yep, it is. So Weird. I I had to control F, find it at the bottom of the page, um, but they're using it up here. I think they define it, but yeah, they do define it. Anyway, um, they get these messages in that enter this traffic flow template information element, and that contains a bunch of packet filters. Um, each TF, each of these like packet filter, or the TFT is a collection of packet filters. They'll get those get mapped onto a PDP context, which is kind of like how the cell service uh, when you allocate this PDP, it contains like all the subscriber information. So like your MZ number will be in that in that structure. Uh, your the IP address they give you. Information like that is going to be assigned that it's kind of like your session with the uh, with your service provider, as I understand it. Um, and then inside of that, you can have these packet filters, which. Uh, well, so the TFT contains, I believe it's 15 packet filters or can contain 15 of these PF descriptors. Yeah, uh, it contains pointers to 15 packet descriptors. So each packet descriptor is allocated on the heap but this initial structure just has a space for 15 of those and then inside of each pack structure you can have a number of component descriptors inside of there and the components are where the actual like traffic mapping rules are defined like source and 
uh, source destination, IP port, and like the ranges that it applies to or whatever. That's all defined in these components. So as they're going through and all the parsing, um, they do have kind of a layout here of the structs as they reverse engineered them. Um, 15 of those and then 10 components. The spec for this is like you can have a maximum of 10 components um, inside of each packet filter. As it's iterating through, it does do the proper check on the number of packet filters that's going to read out of the message. However, um, when it gets to components, it just iterates through the entire list of components, calculates how many components there are in the list. Um, just using this component count variable is going to iterate through uh, incrementing that. Um, I'm going to go through using that component count. It gets down to the bottom, whatever. But it'll allocate basically as many components as you give it, even though the structure itself only contains space for 10. It'll keep going. It'll access index, index 10, index 11, 12, 13, and writing in the pointer to the buffer that's allocating as long as you provide it inside the message and a message itself can contain or has space to contain. Uh, they mentioned roughly like, like a hundred and I want to say 128, but that feels like I'm just pulling out the nice round binary number, but it's more than a hundred uh, potential components inside of one of these packet filters. Uh, so from that, to 125, course, 125 is so close. Yeah. Yeah, so um, basically, like, you're going to take this component and you're just accessing out of bounds and it's just going to write these pointers to the data that the attacker controls, assuming the attacker is able to send these uh, baseband messages or these cellular messages, um, writing the pointer. And that's kind of the end of the information we really get. They do go more into, like, the actual code flow that happens here, but we don't really get the exploitation, unfortunately. It is a pretty nice primitive to have where rather than controlling what the overflow data is itself, which can also be useful and is a more common scenario, you're getting it to write pointers to data you control because quite often in structures, they're going to contain a pointer to data that wants to read. So this way you're getting it right and you don't, or you're getting it right from that and you don't need to actually break like ASLR to do it. Um, I don't see a really clear exploitation strategy just by looking at the structures that we've been introduced to here, which is the uh, PF descriptor and the component descriptor. Uh, there's also the TFT descriptor, because I would imagine as it's going through here, there's a good chance you're going to be beside like the PF descriptor. There's a good chance that would overflow into these next allocated component descriptors, but it doesn't really have a lot there, but there is probably other code that's maybe going to be parsing that later. So you might be able to get something with the comp deck because it is just treating it as a buffer. So I don't see it out this. They don't go into it, but they do assure us that they can get code execution. And with this sort of primitive, it's very believable that you would land with code execution there. So, you know, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but we don't have the information. I can't really even speculate without seeing a bit more about how it would get parsed. How that data blob gets parsed. The other thing worth keeping in mind is this is being done on baseband. So it's a little bit hard for us to speculate too, just because it's going to depend on like how their heap allocator works and all the specifics of that in the environment. Um, they might not have like uh, a lot of the memory protections that you would expect on your typical uh, processor. 
um, because, you know, it's the baseband, it's like lower power chip, it's doing one specific task, so uh, it's not going to be as complicated. So that could have also like simplified the exploit scenario as well, but because of that, it also makes it harder to speculate on the exploitation strategy without knowing all the specifics. But uh, yeah, when you get into like baseband and stuff, it's very interesting because it tends to be, from what I understand, I'm, I don't do baseband research, just to be clear about that. Um, but from what I understand, like baseband seems to be a pretty soft target, um, pretty fun to exploit. Like you don't really have to chain a lot generally. It's just a target that's not easy for everybody to look at because sometimes there's obfuscation in play and there's a lot of undocumented stuff and you have to do a lot of reversing. Uh, and often you need specialized equipment as well uh, to be able to do like thorough analysis of it. But you do yeah, be able to fake your own like cell tower to send the messages and have the phone connect to it, which yeah. can be questionably legal in some countries, depending on your radio like rules regarding the radio bands and who that can too. use them. Yeah, so the uh, the accessibility of doing this kind of research is a bit limited, but the targets themselves are pretty uh, straightforward generally when it comes to exploitation. So, uh, yeah. yeah, like you said, not too surprising they were able to get CodeXec out of it. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of an interesting area just because this is a side chip on the device. So even getting this code execution, this is code execution just on the baseband, which can be pretty useful if you're like in analyzing all of the packets going out or something. Like that could probably leak a pretty good amount of information about a person if you just had that level of compromise. But usually what you want is to actually compromise the device itself. Um, and that's where, like, this kind of creates a really interesting attack scenario because you're not coming um, at the attack as, like, um, an untrusted user trying to do a local privilege escalation. You're coming from the baseband chip, and... Oftentimes with the kernel, it's more or less trusting what the baseband gives it. It's not necessarily doing all of the um, all of the checks that it might do on like untrusted data. It'll still probably do some, but it is a bit of a weaker interface to have into the kernel and just a little bit different because of the direction that you're moving with the attack, which leads into the uh, next topic from the same group here, which is a Samsung or a Samsung uh, radio interface layer implementation vulnerability, um, which can be reached from the baseband sending messages to um, their radio interface layer and the IPC that it has set up. Uh, so leads kind of nicely into that. Uh, this vulnerability is, you know, it's another buffer overflow. Honestly, pretty simple in this case, though. Um, the messages that or I guess you have this IPC protocol 41 SMS and then just IPC RX incoming message. So as I mentioned, uh, the, the RIO library, radio interface library, um, it just exposes this IPC setup so that the baseband can write messages onto this. I believe it's using an IO ring, um, writes messages there and can alert the system that, hey, there's a new message or the kernel can be pulling for it, depending on uh, the interface there. But uh, it gets the message, and then the kernel goes now, and it's going to go and read it. And the CDMA SMS parser, CDMA SMS parser, um, I repeated that for those of you listening. Like, that is um, the object name and then the function name. Yeah, they both have the same name. Um, you'll have that. Well, it's a constructor, yeah. Yeah. 
But I'm not sure if it's necessarily being used as the constructor in this case. Um, anyway, uh, whatever. Uh, it, it yeah, you, you can that. see in the code snippet it is, right? It has this pointer in the first argument. Oh, well, yeah. well, no, it's part of the object, so it can have this, because it, there is a this, because it is part of the object. Yeah, um, but, but it, for all intents and purposes, like it, it, even if it's not technically it's a constructor like in the C++ yeah. sense, it is, yeah. Yeah, no, it's working as one yeah they've got this function to initialize and copy the contents of that ipc message into a stack allocated buffer the maximum size of an ipc message is hex 40,800 bytes while the buffer is 1096 bytes so you can already imagine what's going wrong here they copy the entire uh data from that into this stack object without any length checking just a nice mem copy and therefore, you have a stack-based buffer overflow coming from, you know, baseband interacting with the kernel. So a very straightforward buffer overflow. Um, we have Nick's Freak mentioned I can't, uh, in chat. I can't believe these are buffer overflow volumes. And I mean, we still run into a ton of buffer overflows. Um, just not doing boundary checks correctly. Uh, like a stack, a straight up just stack based buffer overflow does feel a little bit more rare seeing that in the kernel, but this is a really interesting and I guess a bit of a more unique case where you're coming from a somewhat trusted chip on the device already providing this information to the kernel rather than it being a really obviously untrustworthy source. So I kind of get it. Like, it, it's still not a good thing to do, and you still should be checking this. But I get kind of the mental place people might have been coming from. Um, and then uh, on the baseband side, if I had, like, the, the iterator there, that just should be checked. Like, plain and simple. But again, GSM, or not GSM, but, like, the whole baseband and the... Cellular network feels at least a little bit more trusted. Um, so again, I kind of understand why devs might not be thinking about the security as much because they trust it a little bit more to not be like malformed. Um, I think it's also the, code that people are generally scared to touch because uh, out of all the be, things yeah. on like a phone, uh, you don't really want to break the cellular network capability. Um, and one of the other questions from Nick, or one of the questions from Nick's freak is no stack protections. So the stack should have some protections here, but you do still have the ability to override like local variables even before you hit a like canary or something. Uh, we don't get exploit information here, so we don't know what strategy they actually use or what they had to deal with here. We only have the vulnerability itself, um, which they actually, I think they call it out here, uh, could, re uh, could result in just denial of service in the Android context rather than actual buffer over or rather than an actual code execution. So they're not getting like an LP just denying service. Um, so that very well could just be because they are coming from the baseband, hitting the kernel and then, you know, hitting these stack protectors and not able to get around that. Therefore just crashing the device. Um, yeah. Which isn't quite the impact you'd want to have, but it's still fun to look at these attacks coming over and, um, uh, oh yeah, one of the other things they call out here is, side note, if the overflow value is large enough, um, there's actually a, another call that will happen that has a further stack overflow that gets triggered before yours. 
Um, so lots of overflows here. Yeah, um, I do want to clarify one thing, though. I believe you were saying that this was uh, like allowed exploiting the kernel driver. As I understand it, the messages are received through the kernel, but they're attacking the user space uh, RAL library. That's so, a fair shout, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that, just because the impact's not quite as high as it might initially seem. Although, when, when you're talking about like denial of service and whatnot, it's, you know, <laughs> whether you're doing it at the user space at the kernel level isn't super relevant at that point. Yeah, I mean, actually, but that is a good point, because like an actual exploit chain, like let's say this was exploitable, that would be going baseband into radio interface service into that riddle service. And then from yeah. there, you would have to go for a kernel privilege escalation. Yeah, for some reason, I had in my head this was driver. But yeah, it's got the shared library here. It's part of that service. So you would have a few more like privileged service access, but it is uh, yeah. something different. And I mean, it's fair because the messages are being like processed and coming in through the kernel. But yeah, it's it's just uh, like an intermediary or whatever. Yeah, it's um, not exploiting the kernel. Yeah, but getting into an Android kernel issue, uh, our last post is a report by Project Zero. It's a use after free in the Mali GPU driver, which is also used for uh, Exynos chipsets. And uh, yeah, so as the report says, um, in a later revision of Mali, uh, revision 44, it became possible to free the uh, context of a file while still having the file pointing to a uh, KBase file. So basically what they're saying here is whenever you open a handle into the uh, GPU driver, you get a KBase file, and then that KBase file uh, is attached to a context. Uh, and the context is like your your handle into the GPU uh, for doing operations in the GPU address space. Each context has its own view of the address space and things like that. Um, and these structures have to be carefully managed. They have reference counts checks because uh, obviously you can't have a context being freed while it's being operated on, or then you have a use after free in the driver, uh, which is pretty much what happened here. Um, in a later revision, uh, so in earlier versions, the file and the context were more tightly coupled. Um, as if you freed a context, the file was also not really reachable anymore, but in revision 44, that changed. Um, so it was possible to free the context uh, while still retaining that file handle. Um, but what they note is that the kbase pull function for uh, the pull syscall will connect the event queue of that context uh, into the caller's wait table, but the teardown of the kernel context doesn't remove those connections from the caller wait table when it's tearing down the context. So context gets freed, those waiting uh, the the wait queue entry in the caller's wait table is left dangling and you have use after free uh, into vmalloc space. So fairly straightforward issue. Um, and you can kind of see that too with the POC. Uh, they have the full POC here and the POC is like, it's it's like 20 lines of code outside of the macros structure definitions. So uh, fairly easy to trigger uh, and probably fairly exploitable too. Um, because whenever you have these kinds of use after freeze, especially with the GPU, it's a very good primitive farm. So, uh, yeah, little doubt that this would be pretty exploitable. Yeah, it's it feels like something like it's almost a surprising bug again, just to have like, of course, we see plenty of dangling pointer things there. But like having that kind of untracked white table that holds on to the pointer just feels a little bit surprising of a structure. Of like a yeah. way to implement this, but 
Um, and yeah, yeah, I'll also kind of include the uh, patch here. Patch isn't super interesting. They just move the event queue out of the actual context and into the uh, K file. So basically making it last a bit longer, long enough for other things to clean up. Um, but I'll include that if you want to at least take a look since we have yeah, it. Yeah, basically just a basically just an order of operations change. Um, now this is fairly inconsequential, but it's kind of funny because uh, this had happened with some of the other Mali issues we've covered in the past on the podcast too. Uh, the first comment by uh, Jan Horn on this post says, there was an issue with the smoke report, ARM did not see my issue report, and instead started addressing the issue when they received another colliding issue report. It's just kind of funny. It seems like ARM or um, like Samsung or whoever just... Because Mali is a little bit weird. So Mali is an ARM um an ARM GPU. Uh, but it's also like Xenos is a primary manufacturer of ARM chips, so there's kind of like a collaboration there. But anyway, it seems like they have some like problems when it comes to receiving reports. Because I remember with some of the other Mali issues we covered, uh the Project Zero researchers basically had to fight with uh like arm to get it recognized as an issue um and it yeah it's just seems like uh maybe that still hasn't been fully resolved in this case it, it seems like they did like recognize it as an issue it just kind of got lost and uh you know the noise well, or whatever they recognize but, it as an issue because somebody else also reported it yeah but it's just it's funny to see that the you know the the bounty program or rather the vuln research program for uh for Mali is still a little bit of a mess, but uh, yeah, that's beside the point. Just something I noticed uh, while we were covering it. Yeah, I don't have a ton of, like, I don't have high expectations when it comes to the CPU manufacturer that's ARM, but that also, like, Intel stuff. Like, I don't have, like, like, obviously, I haven't had any experience directly with them, but, like, their reputation on that front isn't the greatest. But you hear a sense lot. of either ignoring things, uh, but also just delaying and putting them off. Like, even if that's not necessarily accurate, that's kind of the picture I get because of what I've been exposed to. Uh, they very well could be way better than I get exposed to, and I just hear all the bad cases. So I don't want to, like, hate on them or anything. Just my expectations aren't super high. Could be an exposure bias, but yeah. it, it is a general sentiment among the industry. Um, I think I talked about it before but if you want a good like video talking about the players and the cpu industry and how they handle security reports and whatnot you should check out the keynote of the uh, hardware io usa from this year uh <laughs> there's some funny do you know funny what the stories in there like the actual title was uh i think it was side channel uh, it had side channels in it i think Sorry, I'm just looking it up really quick because uh, I do want to yeah, get the name. I was actually trying to find the link to it. But yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily see one. I'll be here. able to get it in a second. Yeah, so the the micro architectures that I saw and the ones that I hope to see one day uh, to one day see uh, by Rodrigo Rodrigo Bank Branco. So. Yeah, that's the keynote that I uh, that I was referring to there. Do you have the link? Uh, yeah, I can send it to you. All right. Uh, let me just send it. Or open there you the go. browser. Uh, yeah, I could do that too. Although sometimes that doesn't work for me. Let's see if it'll work today. 
Yep. Uh, did it come right. up? Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So there, there's a fun talk for for anyone who's interested in the uh, the CPU side of things. But yeah. So that's all the vulnerabilities that we have for this week. We do have a shout out, which let's get into here, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, and just this one shout out from ZDI. Uh, a detailed look at Pontone Automotive EV Charger Hardware, and it's what the title says. It's a breakdown and look at some of the charging hardware, some of the chips involved and all that. Uh, seems like it's good background if that's an area you want to get into, so I just want to give it a shout out. Not an area that I plan to get into anytime soon, so I can't say it's great or not, but it did look interesting and it is coming out of ZDI, so reasonable expectations there i have a uh i have higher expectations from zdi than i do from the uh, cpu manufacturers <laughs> fair enough <laughs> all right so yeah that's all the topics we have for this week so as always thanks goes out to all of you for listening uh if you want to go back check out past episodes you can find them on youtube spotify apple Podcasts, and more links on anchor and also recent episodes on twitch Feel free to join the Discord and follow us on Twitter. Links to those are down below or in the chat. And with that said, we will see you next week.